Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CatSource family production. In this episode, we discuss the life of a professional hockey player, coaching at an elite level, and franchising. This podcast exists in large part because of CatCM, the content marketing team inside CatSource Inc. So what does CatCM do? You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content creation and content distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CatCM, we exist to help entrepreneurs create and share amazing content. Learn more by visiting CatCM.com. Our guest is Alex Roberts, franchise executive for FranChoice and former professional hockey player and coach. Alex's career as a hockey coach and now franchise executive was built on his time playing NCA and professional hockey. He was drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks after leading the University of Michigan hockey team as a captain. Coaching and mentoring has always been a big part of Alex's life. Prior to his career in franchising, Alex coached hockey at the professional level and spent time recruiting and developing elite-level high school hockey players as a coach with the U.S. national team. I've come away impressed with Alex's leadership and knowledge around helping athletes grow in business and life. I believe you'll come to understand what I mean after listening to this chat. And with that in mind, let's get right into this chat and welcome Alex Roberts. Alex, I think about hockey a lot. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and a lot of my close friends played hockey. And it seems to me that there's two types of people when they were growing up and they decided to play hockey. You had the pond hockey guy, or you had get to the, get to the rink at 6 a.m. Were you one of those? <laughs> you know what, I was both. Um, I grew up in a hockey family, so my, my dad and three of his brothers all played uh, college hockey and and uh, one of his brothers played 20 years in the National Hockey League so I, I kind of grew up with a and kind of an idol mentor you know in the family and uh, uh, you know we had skates on when we were two and three years old so um, so I did a lot of both you know pond hockey where I grew up we had a we had a lake that was around the corner from us and uh, and so I you know was out there with all my buddies and family and and also did the the 5 6 a.m thing and uh, played travel hockey all my life growing up so i I was on the ice a lot. Yeah. Well, that's um, it's what you see, right? I mean, you have to be on the ice. You have to practice. I remember a lot of my friends, it was 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. They had to get to the rink because, you know, so many teams had to get to the rink. Now, in Buffalo and Michigan and different Minnesota, you have open ice time. I'm down here in the Carolinas, and as you know, the NHL has expanded their reach, right? So they're the Carolina Hurricanes. They get down to Arizona. You got Southern California. You got Florida. You got kids now playing hockey in these locations, um, we have a family friend, and their son plays hockey, and his on his team are kids from Charlotte, Greenville, Greensboro, Virginia, other parts of the country. I think like even goes into Knoxville, Tennessee. They practice and they travel, so their tournaments might be in Denver, Buffalo, Boston, Chicago, Minneapolis, all these different places. It's and it's constant, and it's constantly playing. So, what do you think or know of just youth hockey today? You know, it's obviously very different if you're you know growing up in the you know the Buffaloes and the Michigans and the, those types of places. But what do you um, see with the current state of youth hockey? You know, I mean, that's a great question because there, there's no doubt that things are different than when I grew up. And, you know, I'm 51 years old now, but, you know, we, when I grew up, my dad didn't let me play spring and summer hockey. He was like, that's time to play baseball, uh, you know, golf, tennis, you know, other uh, other sports. And it was like, put the blades away. And, and now you, just in every sport, these kids are specializing so early uh, in, in whatever sport they're choosing or their parents choose for them in many cases. But, um, you know, I just I think that in, in hockey in general, um, it is definitely one of those those things as you get older and the more serious you get uh, about the game, uh, you, you really have to continue to do the extra you know, spring and summer seasons or the, the personal coaching and skill development and things like that to be able to stay, you know, to stay ahead. And um, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I've, I think it's great for kids to develop other athletic skills by playing other sports and and things like that at the same time, but um, but it's it's pretty difficult, you know, when you're not uh, you know given your ten thousand hours the whole you know uh, outliers method to uh, to whatever sport it is. So, uh, but I'm still I my kids played multiple sports and um, and you know they're not playing college hockey or my son's not playing college hockey. He's uh, going to play club uh, actually club lacrosse. He's a hockey and lacrosse player. But um, but you know maybe if I had pushed him more into one sport, who knows. <laughs> But uh, but I think we're all better off for you know being able to play 
play different uh, different sports and build your athleticism and and uh, things like that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of diversity in your training and balance um, in in what you do, and there's a lot of injuries that are coming about because of the specialization in sports. I talked to um, somewhat a, a former college and NFL football player, Marcus Williams, who's in the Chicago area. And he made a good point on the other side of it, and you kind of went there as well, is they didn't have this type of training, say, when you were younger. They didn't have the specialized training all year round. So it really wasn't, that opportunity necessarily didn't exist. So you had the three, four sport athletes that, you know, like you said, you could play soccer, you could play hockey, you could play football or lacrosse or whatever those different sports were. Nowadays, it's there's a lot of pressure to continue to build upon that. Um, so I think it could go both ways, but it was interesting. I remember with my friends when they were growing up and they played different, we all played different sports every season. Uh, they had friends that, you know, Northern Canada, what have you, and they only played hockey and they always laughed because they would go, you know, hang out with them and they couldn't shoot a basketball properly. They couldn't throw a football properly, but they could do certain things on the rink that perhaps they couldn't do. It's just, it, 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 you know, diversity. And, and I think training, I think there's injury issues. You know, women's soccer um, is known for it, whether it's the knee injuries or the head injuries because they're using the same muscles all the time. Um, so you, you obviously make a good point to, to get out there and to, to play other sports. And I think it's important, even if you are specializing, you can still go out to the park. You could go out to the driveway and, and uh, shoot the basketball around. Um, but it, but it's the game's changed a lot, too. Right. So, I mean, you could tell me about like when you played and, you know, how the games evolved. And, you know, growing up in Buffalo, I was always go to Sabres games. And the enforcer was a big part of the game when I was growing up and um, a lot of clutching and grabbing, a lot of fighting. And and you still have that to a degree but the skill level the players to me even look different you know they're smaller they're faster they're niftier there's a lot of analytics what do you say not just in youth hockey but like the current state of maybe uh when you get to the college level and you get to the professional level the current state of hockey as you see it yeah i mean it's it's crazy that the speed is the biggest change in the game from you know from when i was playing 25 years ago 30 years ago whatever it was um, yeah, these, these guys absolutely have an incredible amount of, of speed and skill and, um, uh, the, you know, taking out the clutching and grabbing, you know, in terms of the way they're calling the penalties and the hooking and, uh, you know, that type of stuff that, you know, I, I probably never would have been able to play pro hockey that right. I had not been allowed to clutch and grab. Um, but it was just a different game. And it's funny, you watch some of these ESPN, you know, classics or NHL network, they show some of these games from the eighties and, and it's just so slow, you know, compared to what the, the game is today. So I just think these guys are doing, they're doing stuff at such a high, you know, rate of uh, speed and, and the skill level is, is really incredible. But, you know, with that, without that clutching and grabbing, there are the, the you know, the, some of these injuries where guys are, you know, getting such a big head of steam and they're, they're not being held up and they're running the D through the glass and there's, you know, any, any contact to the head uh, with the concussion issues is, you know, the equipment is very, really different than what we had. I mean, these shoulder pads are, are uh, uh, you know, a lot <laughs> like Kevlar that uh, that hurt when you get hit in the face with the, with that as opposed to the soft cotton and stuff that we had. So anyway, it's um, it's definitely a much faster game. I love it as a fan. I love to watch it. Um, I just know that I couldn't play <laughs> this style of game based on the way that I played growing up. Yeah, the talent level is off the charts. And, and it's interesting, too, going back to your earlier point about playing different sports. I think it was Austin Matthews, right, who went to uh, uh, Arizona game, and he was a baseball player. And he's like, whoa, this game's a lot of fun. I want to play this game. And turns out to be, and it's this incredible hockey player and plays for the Maple Leafs now, right? And it's just changed. But he wasn't growing up playing hockey. He wasn't specialized in that. Eventually he did, of course, obviously. Um, but playing a different sport got him to where he is today, you know, in the state of Arizona, which is like one of the least likely places you think you might find a future um, all-star hockey player. And, you know, like you talk about the, the speed of the game and, and I've, you know, living here in the Carolinas, uh, when I first got here, people were like, hockey, why, why do you care so much about hockey? I'm like, well, I grew up with it. You know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, they would make fun of it. And then it was like, well, you got to go to a game. You have to check it out. Like you have to see the speed. And, you know, I've noticed kids, you know, I'll take them to a football game and we love football, but it's slow. It moves slow. There's a lot of breaks. There's a lot of timeouts, there's a lot of commercials. There's a lot of downtime where you go to a hockey game. It's just happens. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. You have intermissions, but you kind of need to catch your breath anyway. Obviously, the players do too. But if you watch a hockey game in person, there's just there's nothing quite like it. 
Um, and there's a culture just around the sport in general. And like, like I mentioned before, things are changing analytics, but analytics are hitting every sport. I mean, just all the different timings and just the way they're, they're analyzing every aspect of the game. And I think it's great, right? I think there's a lot of positives to that. Um, but there's also just a lot of understanding hockey, hockey IQ and all that, but there's a culture around hockey. Um, I've even brought it up with people that we work with here. We've interviewed and we talk with a lot of people from all different sports and, you know, um, we, we love them all, whether it's baseball, football, soccer, basketball, hockey. Um, but I told them, you know, I mentioned to them, I said, once you start getting into this world, a little bit of hockey, you're going to see this culture that's exists. It's just good people. You're going to enjoy talking to them possibly more than you enjoy talking to some other people. And that's not putting other sports down. It's just, there's something about the hockey player, someone who grew up in or in around the sport of hockey, that it's just, you're kind of drawn to it. And once you get into it, people really take to it. And you see that with fan bases, even in the South and in the, you know, the, the Pacific South, right? That they just, they're just drawn to the sport. What is it about hockey players and hockey in general that just has such a great vibe to it? Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely something I've heard many, many times. And I do believe in, and, and having grown up in the, in the sport um, and been a part of it, you know, I, I think there's a certain level of, of humble, uh, humbleness, if that's the word, <laughs> you know, where, uh, you know, hockey is, you know, truly grew up, you know, being more of a Canadian game to begin with. And then you see now it's, you know, uh, the Americans from 1980, from the Olympics in 1980 has really changed the, the growth of the sport in America. Um, and then, of course, the Europeans infiltrating the NHL as well. You have a lot more balance between where your players are from, but I think there's I think there's definitely a a certain level of um, uh, you know humility that that goes with uh, with guys that play in the league and and uh, play the sport that uh, you know you're on a team you're part of a team nobody's bigger than anybody else you have roles and responsibilities and you know kind of singers sing and dancers dance and every you know if you play your role and, and all that you're you're uh, you're a big part of that team no matter what your what your role is and and guys appreciate you know the the goal scorers Gretzky you know tell you how much he loves Dave Semenko Dave Semenko wasn't a very good goal scorer but he gave Gretzky all kinds of room out on the ice to you know allow him to do the things that he could do and and uh, and that because he had an enforcer like him looking out for him um, and uh, I think there's just a, a mutual respect amongst all the players and and you know there's not as much of the ego and you know who cares about who's getting. Uh, the amount of points or you know shots or you know things like that that you see in in some of the other sports where where there's a, a little bit more of the I than the than the we <laughs> so yeah well there's some self policing going on like you said you know when something happens that you're you're going to protect your guys and there's a, there's a the culture you have to see the culture in business and and you look at you mentioned 1980 the miracle on ice and um, there was what was this the best group of players I mean, that was the whole thing with her brooks right well maybe it's not the best group of players but it was the best team that they could put together and that that applies a lot to what you're trying to do in business and surrounding yourself with the right people and going back on that if i've done my math correctly i would believe you were at a prime age in 1980 you would have been about 12 years old if i'm not mistaken probably already playing hockey was that a big moment like do you remember where you were was that a big moment for you in your hockey career Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I was I was 12 years old. You're right on with the math, and uh, yeah, I was with my family. We were actually out in Colorado, and um, uh, we were on spring break, and um, and we all you know, we were with like four other families that we went on this trip with, and so we were all at the you know hotel watching watching the games, and um, and it was just like everybody's everybody's day you know around that those olympics revolved around uh around those usa uh, games and it was phenomenal so I'll, I'll never forget it and and certainly it, it made a huge impact on on you know players like me and all my buddies and friends that you know we we just couldn't uh uh, you know, wait to pretend like we were Mike Ruzioni or, you know, Jim Craig playing goal or whatever it was. It was, uh, it was huge. And put, I think it just put hockey on the map all across the United States uh, more than anything, uh, you know, influencing our country over the years. Absolutely. Well, now you see it today and, and maybe in the U.S. hockey's not number one, but they're getting there, right? I mean, some of the best talent in the world right now, or at least playing in the NHL is uh, our American players. And we already mentioned one, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, you know, you have some of these guys that are coming up and, you know, the Olympics coming around the corner. I mean, U.S. hockey 
is up there um, and it's come an incredibly long way as you've obviously seen it. You've been involved in junior uh, U.S. hockey, if I'm not mistaken. You know, do you see that trajectory continuing uh, with U.S. hockey from here that just continuing to get better and better? Or do you see current, do you see issues? Are you worried about it? No, I, I think it's it's been uh, uh, on a steady incline. You know, you're right. I, I came to Ann Arbor, Michigan in 1997 to help start the U.S. National Development Team program. And um, this was the under-18 uh, and under-17 teams that uh, in the past they would just put together an all-star team that would go play in a tournament once or twice a year against other you know countries. And uh, Jeff Jackson, who uh, is now the head coach of the University of Notre Dame, Jeff was my coach in juniors when I was 17, 18 years old before I went to college. But Jeff had a very successful career, won a couple of national championships coaching at Lake Superior State. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he got together with the USA Hockey executives and decided to start the, the under-18 national team where it was, hey, we're going to bring these kids to a, you know, they picked Ann Arbor, Michigan, but to a spot they were deciding where it was going to be, either Chicago or Detroit. They wanted to be near other, uh, you know, teams that they could play against and have the right training facility and, and that, but um, but it was a really aggressive uh, decision to take these kids and recruit them away from their Minnesota high schools and from their uh, AAA teams in Michigan and the prep schools out east, and uh, and that's what it was in the beginning. It was mostly Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois kind of kids, and now that U.S. team over the last 21, 22 years they've had the program, the guys like Austin Matthews from Arizona, and and you've got guys from Florida, the, the Hughes brothers. Um, yeah, there's there's people from all over the all over the country that are that are now making these select teams, and uh, and training with the national team year round, as opposed to, you know, just getting together with no chemistry and and no team systems. It was very difficult for for coaches to you know compete and win in the international tournaments. And this was something that was going on in Europe, and, and that's where Jeff and uh, Jeff Jackson, a few of the other guys, were studying what some other countries were doing, and um, and so they decided to put this national team together. And since then, you know, the the records for the U.S. in the World Junior tournaments and the Under 18 national tournaments uh, has been incredible. The amount of gold medals and and medals in general, because before it was it was a not expected for the U.S. to finish in the top three in most international play, but now it's, and then it also gives these kids the, you know, they play for their country and then they want to play again. They want to go to the world championships. And of course they want to aspire to play in the Olympics. And there's a certain level of pride in, in that to, uh, to wear your, your country sweater that maybe wasn't there uh, as much before. Yeah. And you're seeing it in different ways in other sports. So basketball, which they just had the world cup and you have players not wanting to play in it because U S basketball was always at the top. So everyone's always gunning for them. Right. Where hockey wasn't at the top. So they're trying to reach that ultimate soccer is probably more along the lines of hockey, but they haven't gotten there yet. And they're really struggling to get there. But they're trying to put these systems in place at a young age into these developmental leagues. Right. To have a system in place. So this is the way we're going to play our the sport. And we're going to teach this at a young age and build it because that's what they're doing in these smaller countries that they're able to build out their style of play. And that's why they're having so much success. And I think hockey, like you said, has done such a good job of it where other sports, like I mentioned, soccer and basketball have kind of struggled with it for different reasons. Uh, but no, I agree with you that, you know, hockey is, con- is continuing to develop and you're getting the, I mean, you need the talent, right? First of all, um, which they have it and you develop at that young age, but you also develop this desire to play for their country, like you said. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting with hockey and all the things that you've talked about and how how it applies to your life and your business and what you're doing today is it takes a team, right? It takes a village. Um, you know, you might have a great left winger, but he might really need a great centerman next to him to set him up. Um, no different than an entrepreneur. You know, we talk about entrepreneurs a lot and, you know, entrepreneurs could have great ideas and they might have great execution, but sometimes the entrepreneur or the person that wants to develop a business doesn't have that idea. They have, they can execute, they can build processes, they can follow the lead. They might not be the number, the captain of the team, but they might be able to really execute on these different ideas. And that's where someone like you can come in. And that's where the idea of franchising can come in. And tell me a little bit about how, you know, because you're transitioning, right? You're playing hockey. We've talked a lot about hockey so far because I think it, it has this foundation of who you are and who you've come to be. But how did you transition? First of all, we'll get into the whole franchising thing, but how did you transition from playing hockey, doing a lot of hockey, right? And all of a sudden, here you go into the business world and you have this knack for <laughs> franchising. Yeah. No, it was um, a really uh, kind of an, an interesting transition. You know, I spent 
three years playing professional hockey after uh, my career at the University of Michigan, and then I got into coaching and spent 11 years coaching hockey with the U.S. National Under-18 team and uh, Ontario Hockey League team, and uh, and then I, you know, I kind of looked at you know my coaching career and said, you know, do I really, you know, do I really want to be a coach? And if I do. I need to be able to be committed to moving every two years, you know, to coach at this level and that level and, and move to different teams. And I had just had my first uh, child and, and I kind of did a reevaluation of my life in, in terms of what was really important to me. And, and, um, and I made a decision with my wife that I was going to get out of coaching, get out of hockey because we wanted to have stability and, and wanted to be able to live in a community that, that we loved and, and raise our family. And, um, uh, and so I started networking. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I started networking with a lot of, of people that I knew through the hockey, uh, the hockey world. And, uh, I went to the university of Michigan. We have a great alumni group there that, uh, uh I got involved in a former letter winners association to network there and um i was introduced to a guy named john rachi who um is a franchise guy and he played football at the university of michigan and um and we lived in the same neighborhood we had kids the same age and you know we were i was just telling him about you know my decision to you know consider a career change and uh you know it was pretty difficult at you know 34 35 years old you know, to start to, to start a new career but um we you know he, we started talking and john said you know what franchising is so much like hockey so much like sports in general you know you've got a team um, you know, the franchise has the, you know, the training uh, system. They've got a, a marketing team, an operations team, a real estate team. You've got, you know, every department, uh, you know, is, is covered. And, and as a franchise, franchisor, you're trying to recruit franchisees to open up your that business in another city, another location where there's the right uh, demographic and and uh, the need for the for the service. And um, and so, you know, he he kind of introduced me to that concept of. Uh, franchising is is very much like the uh, the sports world. There's a playbook to follow. Uh, so I went in and met with some folks at um, a franchise company called Service Brands International, which is Molly Made, Mr. Handyman, Protec Painters, Ducks Air Duck Cleaning. We have some real sexy businesses. These are all you know service businesses, but they're incredible business models that franchise owners were living a great quality of life and making a, a very good income and building an asset. Uh, and um, and so I got hired to come in and and help uh, uh, recruit new franchisees and and I did a lot of recruiting as a hockey coach so it was very complimentary to what I was doing before where you're you're trying to match not everybody's the right fit for a specific business um, and just like not everybody's the right fit for a certain school or, or team and you've got to do your homework and you've got to do your evaluation and you've got to you know you want to sell what the uh, features and benefits are, but you also need to be very careful that you're only bringing in the right people that are good cultural fit that are going to be, um, you know, have the hardworking, um, uh, you know, attitude and have the right business acumen. So, so that's what I started, how I got into franchising 15, 16 years ago was, was as a uh, franchise development recruiter uh, for uh, the service brands companies. And uh, I kind of worked my way through, you know, through that company over, uh, the next several years, and ended up becoming the president of, of two of the brands, and and oversaw some pretty uh, some pretty significant uh, uh, businesses, and and really enjoyed my uh, my time in franchising. So you you see the playbook, right? Because you you go to the different franchises, you you just pick one. If like say it's a restaurant, for example, and you can be really anywhere in the country, and you can see that there's a certain playbook they're following, which I think also plays itself so closely to what you were talking about because you played right you played for the team and you had a playbook or you were the coach of the team and you had a playbook and certain people had to follow these types of processes in place and then there's things that you that might change over time um which i you know it's like it's interesting that so many athletes we hear about are in the franchising world Right. Because I think, you know, it, it, it develops. Right. So if one person does it, then another person follows suit and it's like, oh, boy, this is working for them. Let me learn about what they're doing. It just makes sense, though, when you think about it from that standpoint that you played you played in this system. You always, oh, he's a system player, he's a system quarterback or whatever. Well, because he can follow those things because he's got talent or she's got talent to do that type of stuff. Do you see that playing out as well? Like, are you running into a lot of former athletes in all sorts of sports that are also now in the franchising business? Yeah, absolutely. It is a it is a great um uh, career transition for you know, a lot of folks that have that have played not just these high 
you know, marquee athletes like, uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and Peyton Manning that are spokespersons for, for different franchises. You know, there's, they're, they're at a very different level than, uh, most, you know, the average, you know, life, uh, the average life cycle of a, a professional athlete is about three, three and a half years long. And, um, so most of the guys aren't coming out with hundreds of millions of dollars and, uh, can live off the interest or go invest in, in, uh, you know, these big, uh, big opportunities. Most folks, uh, in, in a lot of athletes, are guys that have have made a nice nest egg, but it's not enough to to you know take care of them for the rest of their lives. So they know that they still have to work. And a lot of these guys are are they don't want to work for somebody else, and they don't want to be told where to go or what to do, um, and, uh, and and all the travel and other things that go along with being in corporate America. They'd say, you know, I I want to be my own boss. Um, yet, like you mentioned, they don't necessarily have that original idea or business plan. So franchising is a great option for them to find a business model that works for them. And that's the big thing. That's what I do today is I help match people with the right franchise opportunities. I'm kind of like an e-harmony for, for franchises, um, you know, where, where I meet with people to learn about, well, what, what role do you want to play in the business? You know, some of these guys uh, want to be involved day to day in the operations of the business. Well, you know, a restaurant's probably not the right investment for them because they, they don't want to be behind the counter flipping burgers or ringing up the cash register. They want to run the business. There are several other businesses that, that the role of the owner is very different than that, you know, of, uh, of a restaurant. So I, um, I've taken through a process to help them understand you know, the business characteristics that are most important to them from the investment level. What are they willing to invest or what can they afford to invest in a business? What type of return are they looking to get on that investment? Um, you know, there's a certain, you know, first of all, any business you get into, you need to make money, right? That's the, that's the ultimate goal. But at the same time, you want to enjoy what you're doing. You want to have something that maybe is scalable that you can grow and build multiple units. And, and uh, uh, you know, you want something that's going to ramp up quickly or can you afford to wait longer? You know, there's, there's different businesses home-based businesses, real estate-based businesses, uh, service businesses, retail. You know, there's a, there's a whole lot of different things that, that I go through to really help these people identify what concept would be right for them. And, uh, uh, and that's kind of the, the, the secret sauce, you know, in, in what I do is, is to really help them uh, narrow down because there's a lot of franchise companies out there. There's 3,000 franchises registered in the United States, and you go online, you get pretty confused pretty quickly with uh, with what's out there and so using an expert like me who's a franchise consultant that has been in franchising for 15 years and worn many hats from the franchise order franchisee and and different size uh, uh you know is to be able to help get people connected with a plus franchise companies that have the strong financial resources that have the experienced executive teams that have built uh, strong brands that have you know the momentum of growth that's going to you know build value in in the brand they're joining so um, anyway, from, from former athletes, it, it is a great fit. There's a lot of uh, former athletes in franchising. I would love to uh, uh, you know, have the opportunity to work with any others that are interested in exploring it and kind of share my, you know, my expertise and, and help them find their way. Well, you've used the word, and, and I think I have as well, transition. And in a lot of times we think about athletes as, well, they, like you said before, they go, they play the sport, they play for a while. We've heard some stories, hey, it doesn't last that long, but they've accumulated all of this money while they were playing. Well, there's maybe not. You know, There's a lot that goes into it, and there's different levels of reaching it to professional sports. Um, you know, It could be minor league. It could be minor league hockey, minor league baseball, all these different sports that exist out there. And there's, there is a real transition that does take place. And we've talked to many athletes and we've, we've talked to a lot of athletes that struggled with it, right? They really, they knew the day was going to come, but it's not real until it happens because you're really so focused while you are playing, while you're training, while you're rehabbing, while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. You're so focused on what's going to happen next, the next season, the next team, the next whatever that's going to be. And then all of a sudden the end of the, the sports playing career comes to an end. And that could be because, well, you're just not as good as you were. You got injured, something changed. Who knows? Like outside influences, right? There's all sorts of things that can happen. There's a lot of different sports out there. And, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, you had to reassess where you were. Like at Andrew Luck take, and he's like, you know what? I'm done. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens from there. But there are players, again, we're using extreme examples, but it does come to an end. And so there is that transition. And where do you go? And I think consultants a lot of times can get a bad rap because like, oh, well, they're just out there to make money. No, because they truly can help you out. 
And when there's value on the table, you want someone like that that can help you out. Like you said, you go to any sort of franchise website and you probably get emails from it all the time. I'm sure athletes do. They're probably overwhelmed. Like, wow, where do I even take this? It's like a student applying for college. Where do I even go? I mean, there's so much research. You could just never end that 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 research process, right? You eventually have to make a decision to have someone in that process. But I want to think about this a little bit that you're seeing a lot of current athletes, and again, we can use extreme examples, that are involved in branding, involved in business while they're still playing. They're finding the downtime. They're realizing that they're rehabbing. They're in the training room. They're sitting in the hotel room, and they're watching Netflix. So they're doing all these things. You know, we just had a soccer player for the Portland Timbers come on, and he started a podcast with a teammate of his because they realized they had a lot of open time. They were interested in other things besides playing soccer, and they had, they were looking beyond their soccer career to say, what do I want to do afterwards? I want to get in the content business. I want to get in the publishing business. I want to get in the franchise business, right? Whatever that might be. Do you see athletes, do you see a time where they might be investing some of their let's say money or investing their time into saying this is the future this is the direction i want to go where you could start the transition perhaps before that transition even happens yeah that's a great point and 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 typically what you see is is people don't usually visit it until they have to and there's the pain you know i'm done playing boy i've been you know, hanging out for a while trying to figure out my next step but i'm just still not sure what i'm going to do and and then they usually get into that okay, now I need to get serious and figure out what it's going to be mode. Um, that, that's the, what happens most, most commonly. But absolutely, absolutely right now I'm actually working with a, an NFL player um, who's you know, currently, uh, currently in the league, and, and he's saying, hey, I, what I've heard from my mentors, from guys that are older than me, guys that have been in the lead, league longer, has been take advantage now while you have all this downtime to do some research, to do some networking, to, do, you know, to get all the – contacts and, and figure out what it is you're going to want to do when your playing days are over, or is there a right opportunity to invest in something now and you know, have a trusted family member or uh, you know, person that you're, you're working with to you know, kind of help lead and manage that business while you focus on your, on your uh, uh, playing during the season. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's absolutely something that I think is, is extremely wise and smart is, is to, you know, continue to build your education on, on business opportunities to, you know, look at what is going to be the next step once, once I actually need to be there. Some people may or may not invest before they're done and that's fine. Whatever, you know, is the right uh, situation for you. But, um, but that way you're, you're prepared to hit the ground running once that career is over um, or you've already begun that process while you're still playing and you have your businesses up and running and you have management teams in place to run it because there are some franchises that are built to be run, you know, by a manager and the owner has a a very semi absentee role that they're putting in five to 10 hours a week of management or oversight. And, uh, and most professional athletes have that time to be able to dedicate to the, to the, uh, big picture uh, scheme of things. So uh, again, that's why you work with a consultant like me who can help guide you to those right types of businesses. So you're not going to be distracted from your day job, you know, and and it's not just athletes, it's other, other, uh, you know, folks that are working in corporate America, that want to build that bridge to go from being an employee for somebody else to being a, an owner uh, of their own business that uh, get into franchise businesses while they're currently working and and put their 10 to 15 hours you know of uh, of work on the side into building a, a franchise empire and then when they have a couple of units up and running and producing revenue they can leave their job and and now focus on their on their business investments and continue to grow and scale their their franchise uh, business and and uh, you know still do it at a part-time level uh, which is but now they're not working a job so they have a lot more free time to enjoy their family and to travel and to do the things that uh, that they really want to do with their time as opposed to punching the clock for for somebody else and make somebody else wealthy that's absolutely right i'm glad you said it because it's not just athletes it's anybody and we're actually uh, uh, producing a podcast for an individual and it's titled going solo and it's about individuals in the corporate workplace that for whatever reason are now not doing that or on the on the verge of not doing it anymore and that could be because they're just tired of it like you said or they their company scaled down they got laid off they got fired whatever that is they realize that we want to get out of the corporate work environment and we want to get into something where you're like you said 
controlling controlling something, controlling an aspect of the business. Perhaps they don't have the idea, but they can get into something along those lines. I'd love to make that introduction because it really does fit. It, again, it doesn't have to be athletes. It can just be someone who works at a very large company that is sick and tired of it or just got disrupted because the company disrupted them for whatever reason. It happens all the time. And, you know, the economy's done very well. There could come a time when the economy's not doing as well and companies aren't hiring like they used to. They're not maintaining people like they're used to and they make a change. And, you know, for people that have done well in business, right, they've climbed the corporate ladder, let's say, or if people have done well in sports, right, they have this grind mentality. They have this discipline somewhere. Yeah, you could get lucky, I suppose, but most people have this discipline. They they realize they had to get up at 6 a.m. if you want to go play hockey. You have to run these, you have to do, you know, dry land. You have to do these certain things. So you have an advantage over the people that aren't willing to put in that work. And if you're willing to put in that work, you can have have a lot of success and that's why I think it pays well or plays well in the franchise and in the entrepreneurial space because no one's in charge of you anymore. You're in charge of your own time and and I think that plays, have you seen that play out in front of you when you've seen former athletes or just former successful business people that have gone into the franchise world and say they had success because they were disciplined, because they had that grind mentality and they've applied it to the different things that you've helped them out with and they've gone on to do really great things in the franchise world. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that, um, uh, you know, skills translate from, you know, whether it's sports to franchising or, you know, other business ventures to franchising. The, you know, franchise system, it's funny, most franchise companies like, uh, uh, you know, Molly made, we use that example. I, you know, I worked at, uh, you know, with re- the residential cleaning franchise for up to 10 years. Um, the franchise owners there, they don't clean a house. They don't vacuum. They don't clean toilets. They're running a business. They're doing marketing, uh, you know, HR management, hiring, managing, leading a, a team, building a culture, uh, running the finances of the business. That's what the business owner does while their employees do the actual work. And that's, that's the, the case, whether it's, you know, house painting or whether it's uh, air duct cleaning or, you know, floor coverings or, you know, any dull normal service businesses that, you know, people invest in their homes. Uh, you know, people don't do a lot of things themselves. They hire it out. There's some great franchise businesses in those categories that uh, uh, that most people never even knew were were franchises. But those companies provide a, a model and a system for the business owner to come in and use the business acumen that they developed working in corporate America, leading and managing teams, leading and managing uh, vendors, delivering great customer service, you know, sales, marketing, you know, whatever it may be that your your background is, there's a way for you to apply those skills and that business acumen to the right franchise system. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's certainly, uh, you know, the majority of people I work with, and I work with people all over the country. I don't, you know, just work with people here in Michigan where I live. I, I work with, with nationwide. My services are free to my clients, too, just so they understand that, that, you know, they, I get paid by a franchise company. If they buy a business I refer them to, I get a referral fee from that franchise company because they value the service I provide by bringing them the right qualified person in an area they're looking to develop that's a match for their franchise. So it's a it's a win win type situation. So these these folks that are in career transition, that have worked for somebody else for a long time, they're either frustrated with their job or or got outplaced um, or downsized. Those are great people for for me to to work with to educate on what franchising can do for them and how they can use the business acumen that they built in their previous career working for others to use their work ethic to use the you know the um, uh, you know their communication skills their leadership skills and apply that to a franchise system that's going to help them achieve their goals both financially and lifestyle wise because you know being your own boss is is something that um, you know a lot of people aspire to but but a lot of people when it gets down to it they don't have the uh, you know the wherewithal or the you know the the gut to to take that um, that leap and and so that's why you do a, a thorough research process. The nice thing about franchising is you get to talk to the franchisor to learn all about the company, but then you get to talk to franchisees before you become a franchise uh, franchisee in that system. You get to learn from these people. Tell me about you know what it's like to own a, a Supercuts hair hair salon. You know what do you do every day? Oh, you don't you don't cut hair? <laughs> okay, I, of course I didn't I didn't want to cut hair, but you know that that's not what the owner does. The owner runs the business. They do the marketing, the advertising, the hiring, the managing, the financials, um, and the real estate and you know, things like that that they're they're involved in. While they have a manager that runs the store, 
um, you know, it's a very scalable business model. They have, you know, most owners have three to five locations and they can, they can grow and, and build a nice income stream while living a great lifestyle. And Molly made, you know, the, the franchisees, uh, there, most of them had great low golf handicaps because they, they'd get up in the morning and get their crews out and then they'd be on the tee at 10 o'clock and, and play from 10 to two and then get back to the office and their teams would come in in the afternoon and, you know, they would do their, their thing by patting the team on the back and giving everybody, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the recognition they deserve and, and the motivation to come back and do it again the next day. And, you know, they, they had a great business model. Um, so again, those are, those are things that, you know, successful people, whether they you know, were an employee for somebody else for a long time, whether they were a professional athlete at the top of their, you know, their, their, of their game, uh, they're, they're all very strong franchise candidates because of, you know, what they've developed and what they've accomplished. And they can come in and, and take a proven model and take a system and apply their leadership and apply their, uh, uh, you know, their business acumen to that model. And, and, uh, and when you follow a system in franchising, it tends to work. You know, when you go in and you try to do something different or you're smarter than the franchisor, that's when people have trouble. <laughs> so uh, follow, that's why athletes are great and military folks. They're used to following a system. You know, put, put the plan out there and let me execute it. So that's why franchising is a great uh, option for a lot of folks that, that are looking for that opportunity to be their own boss and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, get the fruits of their labor. Well, it makes a lot of sense, like we said before, that, like you said, you have that discipline and you can apply it to your next thing in life and your next business in life. And it's important, too, you, you made that point about the, the companies are actually the ones paying you, not the individual. So if I want to, you know, research this process – I get you, right? I get you to help me out, but I don't have to pay you for that. And and that's it's a good thing because I think like you said before, if it's the supercuts, right, or whoever that other business is, they value it enough to say, No, 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 we want Alex involved in this process because he's going to make it better for everybody. That is a value add and that's an important piece of this process. Um, and the other thing you talked about is working on the business, not in the business. And, and we, you know, you come across that all the time and, and it's very easy to get in, get in your hands, right? You do have to understand the business, I do believe, right? So how do you make the sandwich? How do you cut the hair? Maybe you're not a hair cutter. Maybe that's a different one, but you want to understand how everyone does it so you can help manage it, train it better. But like you said, everyone's a little bit different and there are people there inside the franchises, inside those companies that can help in that process. But it is important to be able to work on the business, and that that's something that obviously former athletes or executives at large companies, like we talked about before, could could do a very good job of it. Um, are there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered as it relates to just franchising, transitions, hockey, and all that? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, you know the big key here when when people are are considering you know business ownership, um, do I you know am I right? For owning my own business and and uh, and that and that's where you know what, what I what I want to tell people is is you, you know do yourself a favor and and put in fifteen to twenty hours of research to explore it to figure out if if you have the uh, the gumption the wherewithal you know to you know to go about and 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 be your own boss because you know nine out of ten people I talk to like the idea of owning their own business and that's why they reach out to me in the beginning is, is I want to do this. But nine out of ten people don't do anything. They go back to their job. They go back to or, or you know another job or um, or stay in their current job and um, and feel that there's there's more safety or security in a paycheck and the benefits and the four hundred one k and they'll put up with the hours and the travel and the frustration and the bureaucracy and and whatever. Um, but typically, you know, when when people get into it and they they pull back the onion and, and take a look at what the benefits are of owning your own business and, and investing in yourself, um, you know, in terms of a long-term uh, success, uh, you know, put the time in, do the research, look at what your options are, work with a trusted consultant like me who can help guide you and direct you to the, you know, to the, to the right opportunities. Cause if you start looking at companies and uh, with a, you know, taking a shooting darts at a dartboard blindfold, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of waste of time and effort and energy. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of franchise companies out there that are not uh, very strong financially, that don't have an experienced executive team, uh, that don't have you know, successful franchisees. Uh, 
you know, those are the ones you need to avoid. How do you need? How do you know which is which is which? That's why you, you know, again you work with somebody like me who can steer you to the A plus opportunities. But um, but if you if you ever had that inkling, take the time to look at it and and figure out, you know, am I cut out for this? And um, and can I do what these other people are doing? You know, because that's where the rubber meets the road. When you talk to franchisees that are owning these businesses, and you realize. They're just like me. They had the same type of career I had before they got into this. They bet on themselves. They joined this company that has the, the, the proven track record. They've done their research. I think I can accomplish what they're accomplishing. I think I could probably even do better than what they're doing, you know, if I put my work ethic and, and things behind it. Uh, and that's what opens up a lot of eyes to people is that, you know, that they can do it. It's not just for these wealthy investors. It's not just for, you know, um, people that have no other option. Yeah, this is a this is a great uh, model and a great opportunity for people to own their own business, to build an asset. You've got equity in the business. You have that business; it's yours. You can sell it to somebody else when you're ready to exit. You can pass it on to your family members or your children. Uh, you know, there's you can sell it to your manager, whatever it is. You know, you you've got an asset. You can't sell your job to somebody else when you leave it, but you can sell your business to somebody else. Um, so there's just a lot of great things that franchising provides for. Uh, for the owners, besides a nice income, quality of life, lifestyle, asset building, um, you know, one other thing I just want to mention too is is financing. You know, a lot of people are, are not sure how do I how do how do I pay for a business like this if I don't have this you know big income from a that we were talking about with professional athletes before. But buying a business is very much like buying a home, and most people don't go in and pay cash for a house. They put down 20%, and then they take out a mortgage, right? And, and business is the same way. Uh, Small Business Administration, SBA loans are very common with franchises. You bring 20 to 30% cash to the table, and then you, you, you know, take a, uh, an SBA loan out for the balance, and the business is generating income and revenue and, and paying off that debt service, and, and um, it's just like you're paying down a mortgage. And, and so that's, that's how most people get into business is, is by u- utilizing a third-party funding source as well. So, you know, if you're concerned that I don't have enough money in the bank to do this, uh, you're probably, you know, mistaken in that regard too. And that's another service I provide by helping to get my get my clients introduced to funding partners that help you evaluate your, your financing strategy so you know what type of business you can afford and, and, um, and get yourself into. Well, that's well said, Alex. So what's the best way someone could get a hold of you if they just want to learn more about what you do and how you can help them out? Yeah, that's great. So, you know, my my phone number, my direct line is 734-369-4551. Um, and that's uh I live I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I know you're not fond of Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh but I do like I said work with people all over the country, so uh, and Canada, so don't uh, uh worry about that. My email address is a roberts a is an alex roberts at franchoice.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com. And my website is franchiseplaymaker.com. That's franchiseplaymaker.com. And you can go there and find out a bunch more information about me and my services, and you can submit uh, uh, you know, information on, on the website there, and I can reach out to you to, uh, uh, to connect. Well, that's awesome, Alex. Well, I, I, I can't let you go. So we, you, you, you brought it up. You brought up Ann Arbor, Michigan. So what are, you, like, what are your thoughts? We're still early in the season to record this, so this thing will continue on. But like overall, overarching, you, you're feeling about the state of the Michigan football program, Jim Harbaugh, and going forward from here. Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. It is loaded. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, having been a, a you know, Michigan athlete and a, and a letter winner there, you know, I I've always am pulling with my, you know, my whole heart for the university, for any sport. But, you know, football is obviously our marquee, our marquee sport. Unfortunately, we've been saying that we're a basketball school for the last four or five years. Yeah. <laughs> that. Um, you know, and Jack Beeline did an incredible job, and now he's gone. But, uh, but Jim Harbaugh, you know, there's no doubt the guy loves attention. He loves uh, having the focus on him. And, um, you know, I don't know uh, that I fully agree with a lot of his uh, communication style, his philosophies, and, and other things. But you know, I do I do know that he's been recruiting some pretty darn good athletes and and um, and bringing in some great coaches. And and I think that uh, you know our our big thing is we need to beat Ohio State, right? We have have not done that in the Harbaugh era. And uh, Michigan State, you know, I think we're one and three against Michigan State and zero and, and four against Ohio State. 
Um, those are the games that really matter to the alumni. And, you know, you can beat uh, Middle Tennessee State and Army and whatever, uh, you know, not uh, uh, everybody expects you to win those games. But it's the ones, those rivalry games where he's really fallen short. So, you know, again, do I think he's on a short leash? leash? I don't think so. I think he's kind of got uh, a long uh a lot of rope to you know to work with here, but um, but I do think that if if we don't start seeing the, uh, some victories in those key rivalry games, that it's going to get uh, you know a little bit more heated up here. But uh, we're two and all right now. I know uh, you know it's early, but I'm optimistic, and hopefully we'll hopefully we'll see the boys execute and and beat our rivals this year. Yeah, I mean they've done well. They really have. I mean they've lost obviously the big games and and I think you know rivalry games or just even some bowl games that they've played and that, that haven't. They haven't done what they should be doing, that what they expect in the program. Um, but like you said, good talent, good coaching, um, and it's tough. I think this day and age, social media, that you know, the heat can get it can get hotter a lot faster nowadays. Um, but like you said, Michigan, Big Ten sports in general. I think you got a lot of great programs. Obviously, the Michigan hockey program has been amazing for so many years. Obviously, you were a big part of that in the late '80s and 1990. I believe captain of the 1990 team. So I'm sure you're you're big into that as well. Um, so a lot of good things going on. Sports is a lot of fun, and you know, it's a rivalry. You know, we certainly don't uh, like each other that much when it comes to that. But there's an appreciation, there's a respect, and um, it's a lot of fun, right? It's something that we can it, we can enjoy, and it can be frustrating as well too for at times. But um, it's always fun. You know, I've said it before. I being in the Carolinas, I, I've been to a Duke uh, game, Duke Carolina basketball game, and it's something else. I mean, it's it's definitely special. It's it's a big deal. Um, I have not been to Ann Arbor, but obviously I've been to Ohio State Michigan games and. It doesn't hold. It doesn't hold anything to it. Um, Ohio State, Michigan football is just. I don't know. Maybe it's the sheer size of those stadiums and just the history and um, just some of the games and just some of the epic moments that have taken place. And they only do it once a year. Uh, it just. It's hard to beat. It really is. And even if one of the teams isn't good, or if if the series is being dominated by one side or the other, because both programs have had that going for them, um, there's really. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, and it's not in state either. It's two different states competing. So it's like two entire states going at each other. There's, there's just, I don't know, it's hard to describe and it's definitely worth going to. I'm assuming to be great at Michigan, just the same, um, but a lot of fun and it's a big deal. And it's fun to chat with people like yourself doing, doing amazing things, not only what you've done in your career in hockey uh, and still obviously being involved with it, but what you're doing for franchise and what you're doing for other athletes, what you're doing for other people. That's super important. Um, and, and, you know, it, it helps them. And of course it helps you and coming on here and sharing uh, your, your stories and sharing what you do on our podcast and creating content for it. And I think that's a big part of what athletes can do today. And one piece of advice I'd give athletes is you have a leverage platform today that might not be there tomorrow. If you play football at the University of Michigan, congratulations, you have 110,000 people at every one of your games. And not to not to mention all the people that are watching you on TV. And, you know, then you go in to play professionally. You have all of those fans and you have this fan base. And imagine interacting and engaging with these fans. And then one day, perhaps you own the Supercuts or you own the Subway or you own a handyman store, right? One of those things, these people are going to want to possibly work with you because you're the person that made a big difference. You made it a big impact when they said something great about you or anything that you responded in kind. And I think that has a long way. I think that can go a long way to helping an athlete, not only while they're playing, but down the road when they won't be playing, because like you said, the careers don't last that long. So I think athletes have this incredible opportunity to build it up. Maybe they don't do anything with it today, but down the road, when that time comes, they can they can fall back on all that leverage that they created. The leverage, and I say that's in a very genuine way, when they're actually doing it for the right reasons and it can play itself out. But that'd be the last thing I would add. But Alex, again, it was awesome having you. Um, we'll put all the stuff in the show notes on how they can get a hold of you and learn more about you. But like I said, appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on and joining us for this podcast. I appreciate it, Eric. You know, I really uh, enjoyed our time today and hopefully uh, get a couple of folks out there who uh, decide to want to learn a little bit more about franchising and, uh, and leverage my experience to, to help them, uh, you know, with their, with their goal of being their own boss. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Alex. One of my favorite things about creating sports epreneur content is the opportunity to chat with amazing athletes and people like Alex Roberts, and then having the platform to share it. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sports epreneur. Thank you for listening to the sports epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide.